0: welcome to the Free Trail Podcast. Of course, I am your host, Dylan Bowman, joined today by Bruce Fordyce, the South African running legend and nine-time Comrades Marathon champion. Bruce is an amazing person, a great conversationalist, and has so many incredible stories and lessons to share from his life and career. In this conversation, we discuss Bruce's history with the Comrades Marathon, his unique training and race strategies that led to amazing consistency and longevity over time. We talk about racing in the apartheid era in South Africa and the unifying power of sports. We discuss the moment where he knew his professional running days were done and why he continued to compete after his prime years were behind him. We also talk about his remarkable prediction about fellow South African Ryan Sands winning Western States when Jim Walmsley broke his 50 mile world record and a lot more. There is a ton crammed into this hour-long discussion. I could have talked to Bruce for days, so hopefully we can get him back on the show eventually. As always, a big thank you to our presenting sponsor, Speedland, the premium trail running footwear brand from Portland, Oregon, and the brand that invented the amazing innovation of having removable carbon plates in their shoes. Both the SLPDX and the SLHSV have the removable plates, which create two very distinct yet very different and enjoyable running experiences for various training and racing applications. When you're ripping easy miles on recovery days, take the plate out. When you're smashing intervals and hill repeats, put the plate in and experience the propulsive benefits of the carbon when you want to feel fast. The SLHSV is available now at runspeedland.com. Go check it out. Use code FREETRAIL10 for 10% off your order wall supplies last hint hint for those who enjoy the free trail podcast come join free trail pro the online community of passionate trail runners around the world i'm building a whole new catalog of new training plans for runners of all levels and races of all distances right now we also have an amazing slack community with hundreds of trail runners sharing wisdom and insights For the trails, we do community Zoom calls every single Wednesday. We have a member-only podcast rest day that comes out every single Monday and a lot more benefits. We have a 30-day free trial, so come give it a shot. Visit freetrail.com. Click the button that says Join Freetrail Pro or visit the link in the show notes. We would love to have you on board. Thanks, everyone, for being here. Hope you enjoy the show. Chris Fordyce, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thanks for coming on. Oh, thank you, thanks, Dylan. It's, apologies for yesterday when I was supposed to be there, but we got it right eventually.
0: <laughs> we got it right. Thank goodness! And very, very excited to have you on the show. And a big thank you to Doug Amsley that who helped uh, set this up. But uh, quickly, where does the podcast find you? Are you at home in South Africa?
1: I'm at home in my in what we call our Parkrun office because uh, Parkrun's really big here in South Africa, so we head up the whole country. Yeah. Um, um so i'm in the office but it's kind of a it's a upper floor of of part of our house so that, that that's where i'm at the moment <laughs> Still can you the there's, there's a big what we call a high felt thunderstorm building up yeah. and see the, sky, the sky's going black and we could have a Bit of noise in the background soon.
0: Okay. <laughs> well, that'll only add to the ambiance of yeah. the conversation. I'm curious, Bruce, to start, obviously you're well known as being a great South African ultra running champion, nine time comrades winner, but I read that you were raised in Hong Kong. And so I wanted to start there and maybe allow you to speak a little bit about your upbringing there in Asia and how that's maybe informed the person that you became and the athlete that you became.
1: Um, Yeah, so it's not true to say I was brought up in in, um, Hong Kong. I I was born there. My My father was a soldier in the British Army. He was South African, but because South Africa is part of the Commonwealth, any Commonwealth citizen can become a soldier in the British Army. You just swear allegiance to the crown. So he wanted to see the world. So he was posted to a regiment called the Gurkhas, who were based in Hong Kong. But then I probably spent most of the earliest time of my childhood in Singapore and Malaya, as it was in those days. Mm. And then I went to school in England. So I went to school in Canterbury and Kent. And then eventually when my father retired from the army, um, we returned to South Africa. So, and a kind of rest of my upbringing was Johannesburg.
0: Okay. Well, uh, yeah, thanks for the the quick background and it's yeah. good to understand a little bit more about that. Did, did that sort of lifestyle of, you know, being the son of somebody who's in the army and bouncing around between, sounds like Europe <laughs> and Asia and South Africa, yeah. did that inform or influence, you know, the lifestyle that you pursued athletically or personally?
1: Um, I don't think so. It, it probably, it's probably turned me into somebody now that we've been living... My wife and I and our family have lived in this house that I'm in now since 1988. So maybe it 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 made me not want to travel around too much anymore. After yeah. you know, you make friends and you lose friends, and you make new friends and you lose them. You know, so yeah, kind of. I'm here. That's it. Yeah. Um Well, not that I don't travel. I mean, I travel a lot, but it's it's kind of this is it. I'm, can see because of what's happening with property market and stuff like that. Yeah. But one day the, the one day the neighbors will notice there's just a really horrible smell coming from our house and they'll find out that we're both dead. <laughs> 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 you know, we'll die here probably. Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, hopefully not for many, many years. No, no. Um, not
1: for a while yet. Don't intend to yet. Yeah.
0: Before we get to comrades and the running stuff, I'd love to also allow you to talk a little bit about you know sort of your career coming up sort of before you achieved this fame as being a multiple time comrades finisher i know or i read also that you were sort of involved in mining and archaeology and things like that so i'd love for you to sort of talk a little bit about how um, that
1: so i do i do know from the running point of view i was very influenced by the 1968 olympic games because right. i was school in england then and we had television we only had black black and white in those days so black and white tv um but the 68 Olympics made a big impression on me because they were quite a they were quite a breakthrough Olympics if you look at some of the stuff that went on, like um the the emergence of the East Africa as a major power. Yeah, people like Kip Kaino and, and Naftali Temu and Mama Walder. Um, and then I mean they'd already there'd already been a hint in the Olympics before in Tokyo 64, but I didn't I was too young to really appreciate that. But 68 then and then there were also those breakthroughs you know with um Bob Beeman from the US even that incredible long jump that stood forever and ever and ever yeah. and and then um uh Dick Fosbury going backwards over the bar that you know that had never been done before you know so that was uh Jimmy Hines in the 100 meters. uh yeah just a whole lot of events that were very that were were yeah, just stood out as being remarkable, and then of course the the um, Black Power salute of Tommy Smith and John Carlos, you know yep. that I think they were the two hundred meter winners. Um, anyway, but 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 yeah. So then I at school I was I, I played all, all sorts of sports, but the sports that South Africans play, um, so soccer, football rugby a lot, I mean, rugby you've got to be huge, so I'm small, but I still I still enjoyed it, I, I yeah. enjoyed it right until my final year at school I played cricket very badly um, and I realised only later in life that I had poor eyesight, I mean, now, now I can see you because I've got contact lenses in, yeah. but it, I just couldn't see that ball, so I would have been hopeless at baseball if I played that but, uh, but always, it always returned to athletics, whenever there was athletics, I would do well, so mm. um you know, My final kind of my final two years at school in my senior years, I won the school cross country and the anything that was fifteen hundred meters or longer, I would win it. But I was at a school for for poets and writers and artists and creative people. Yeah. So that didn't just winning at my school didn't mean that you could be world class or anything. It was just well well done. But sure. You know, most of the, most of the guys you're competing against you weren't interested. Um. So and and then the archaeology was that I went to university here in Johannesburg and I just didn't, I had no idea what I wanted to do. You know, so so many people have an idea of their career and they go straight into it. I just had a, no idea. I had a whole lot of things that I knew I didn't want to do, but, mm-hmm. but so what I did was just pursue a general BA degree and, and follow the, the subjects that I found interesting, like history, archaeology, English, those kind of things. And I got my degree. I mean, I wasn't a, a stellar student, but on the other hand, I didn't ever fail anything or whatever. I didn't have to repeat anything. So, but, at, and then I, I, my first job was working in the archaeology department as a research officer, doing a lot of work with, um, you know, humankind was born in Africa. So the earliest, fossils, right. earliest uh, fossil record is here, uh, stretching up the Rift Valley. But I also worked in Bushman sign rock art. Um, And then at the same time, I started to run and at a certain point, those two things intersected and the running, just the athletics and the running offered far more. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So I want to hear, I'm assuming that that moment probably coincided with when you started winning comrades basically every Um, year.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So there was no prize money and there was, it was very amateur in those days, but, but when I won my third comrades, um, I had a spectacular win where I was really, really strong, and I won by I won by 15 minutes. I was 15 minutes clear of the second guy. It was televised live on. It was the, up until then the comrades had been shown on television, but only a package version of the race, like a month later or two weeks later. And suddenly in '83 they went live, and in contrast to the other runners that day, I looked great and I had a great run. And the next day, my phone wouldn't stop ringing, you know, it was all, I saw got a a television endorsement. And even though it was very amateur, you know, there was a lot of below the table stuff where people would say, well, if you wear our shoes, we'll pay you X a month. And (laughs) and, that, and that started the next day. So, and that was kind of it. I just knew that that (laughs) was the way to go. And Before then my, I, I wanted to get a proper job. I did I did want to get a proper job. And I was very jealous of some of my friends who were earning what for me was big money in those days. But my parents, both of them, said to me, just stick with this running.
0: Yeah. Because wow. in
1: fact, my my mother's words were, you are uncommonly good at very long distances and you need to keep doing it <laughs> because stuff is going to come from that.
0: Yeah. 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 It's always good to pursue things that you're uncommonly good at. Before we get to more of your story with comrades, of course, you're going to be speaking to a mostly American audience here Mm. and mostly a trail running audience. And so I'd love for you as as sort of an unofficial ambassador for the race to explain a little bit about the history of the event in Mm. South Africa and the significance to the sporting culture.
1: So I'm trying to think at the risk of exaggeration, the comrades would be like the Super Bowl that but not as big obviously the super bowl is massive but it would be the same in the country and that the whole country stops to watch it and Mm -hmm. they will watch it on television even people who are not one iota interested in sport it's just a huge event and everybody knows that some somebody who's running or they have run or their loved one is running so essentially what it is it's a it's a bizarre race because it's a, a, a road. It's called the Comrades Marathon. It shouldn't be called a marathon. It should be called an ultra marathon because it's plus minus 90 kilometers, so 56 miles or so. But why I say plus minus is every year the distance changes slightly because of the, the road alterations and slight detours and things that change between two cities in a province. So that would be a state called uh, KwaZulu Natal. And those, those are the cities of Pietermaritzburg and Durban. And it was started in 1921 by a ex-soldier called Vic Clapham who wanted to have some event to commemorate his fellow soldiers from the First World War who he had lost, the people who had died in the First World War. South Africa was, was very involved in the First World War as part of the Commonwealth and plenty of South Africans died. Um, and so he started this race to commemorate it that's why it's called the comrades the comrades of the first world war and the first event in 1921 that was how long it took him to get it going um he i think he got a 10 pound grant from the local government and he bought a trophy and i think 30 people plus minus 30 people ran and it was and and it war, the first winner was a runner called uh, Bill Rowan and and it will always be the slowest winning time in the history of the race. But from that, from <laughs> the start, certain, yeah, so certain traditions started to emerge. And one of those is that the race changes direction every year. Yeah. So it goes up from the city of Durban, which is on the Indian Ocean, uh, one year to Peter which is quite a it's quite a climb all the way into up into the high country in Peter and the next year it goes down. Peter Merritt spoke to Durham. So that's one of the one of the traditions. The other is that when you have run it 10 times, they retire your number forever. You you are given your number, and it's called a green number. You can continue to run, and when you run, your number is colored green, which tells everybody that you have done 10 or more. Wow. Um, Yeah, there's a then there are different medals. So there's not just one. You know, I've done quite a few of the US races. You run New York, you get a finisher's medal. That's it. It doesn't matter what time you did. You've got it. Yeah. In the Comrades, there are different medals to signify different times. So you'll get a top 10 runners get a, get a gold medal. And then anyone from from there until seven and a half hours, they get a silver medal. And then from seven and a half hours to nine hours, you get a Bill Roan medal named after Bill Rowan because he was the first winner. And you could have said you won the first Comrades and so, and I'm going to leave out a whole lot of stuff, but it, sure, yeah. left, well, it the, the start. The start is probably one of the most dramatic starts of any marathon in the world, and I've run plenty of them. It starts with the national anthem, then it has a, a, a working song that the workers sing called Shoshalosa, everybody sings it. And then there is uh, Chariots of Fire from the movie, they play the music of Chariots of Fire, yeah. and then there's a, cock- a cockerel crow. A man called Max Trimborn used to start the race of the cockerel crow. He died in 1985, but they recorded him. So they still start the race of the cockerel crow. And then you go. And it's very, very emotional. Um, and so the race took a long time to grow. It was very small, but just significant. And it and it reflected South Africa's politics of the time, the apartheid policy, because for most of its life, the race was a strictly white, male-only race. Right. So white males only, only from 1975 onwards, women and runners of color, black runners were then allowed to run from 1975 onwards. Yeah, And so now the race truly reflects the demographics of South Africa. And it's grown from those 30 people who ran the first comrades now to, uh, you know, I'm sure next year's race will have 25,000, 30,000. Yeah. And yeah. so it's, it's unique in that it's, it, it's the size, almost not quite as big, but almost as one of the big major city marathons around the world, but it's an ultra Yeah, and, and 90% of those people will finish. Yeah. And, oh, and Sorry. That's I left off the most, the, the tradition that probably is one that is least understood, particularly by us runners and by runners overseas is that it is 12 hours. And at 12 hours, exactly 12 hours, a, a significant official or a dignitary or somebody who's been selected walks out onto the finish line, turns his or her back on all the runners who are coming in and at the stroke of 12 hours fires a gun. And when that gun goes, if your foot is one inch away from the line, you are not to finish it. Come back. next year. Good
0: Come back next year. Amazing. Yeah, good luck. yeah. So, so they, that,
1: that's brutal, but it's just, it's, it's probably the finest moment of the race because it, Shows the comrades runners that they're truly heroic because they're trying to get across that line. Yeah, and they're trying to help each other across that line, but there's always a couple of hundred absolutely broken, shattered people who didn't yeah. make it.
0: Fantastic, and I've also heard that there's like a hundred thousand people in the stadium at least when the winner comes in. So there's no, probably a uh, lot.
1: on the roads. On the roads, there'd be half a million spectators. Yeah. In the whole way, so the whole way down the road, people do what you call barbecue in South Africa. We call it a braai. Yeah, a barbecue is a, a watered-down version of a briar. A Briar is a braai. I can't explain it to you, <laughs> and that's a South African tradition. Sure, you gotta usually, be there. <laughs> it usually follows a great victory in rugby. When we, when we, our national team, the Springboks, wins a great yeah. game, everybody will bry. Yeah. Um, but uh, on comrades' day, they do the entire length of the field. Spectators the whole way, screaming and shouting. But. But similar, you know, to the big city marathons that you run with this wonderful spectator support. Um and yeah, it's a it's a huge day now. And um the comrades winner will be a hero, a heroine for the next year, you know. Yeah, yeah. Defending champion.
0: Yeah, well and thanks are, for the there
1: been, yeah, there, yeah. There have been some US winners. Yeah. Um, Camille Heron evening.
0: in fact I uh, I was texting yeah, or emailing yeah. with with Camille to sort of get her insights and maybe some inspiration for questions to talk about with you but I'd love to linger on the political situation because I also reached out to some of your South African fellow uh compatriots, uh, Ryan Sands, Dean Leslie, Stu McConaughey, and uh, yeah. they they all mentioned the 1981 race where you ran with a black armband on. This was oh, also yeah, yeah. your first victory at Comrades. I'd love to hear you talk about what the atmosphere was like with apartheid at the time and why you felt compelled yeah. to take that stand.
1: Oh, so apartheid was still very much in place, but now black runners were allowed to run and, and women were allowed to run. Um, but what happened in 81 was the, the government, the nationalist government at the time, decided to celebrate 20 years of apartheid rule, of their rule of, of South Africa, of their governing South Africa. And so they had a big, well, basically it was celebration for a few months with mm-hmm. tank parades and fly pass and politicians giving speech and cultural events and some sporting events that were all linked to this particular uh, celebration of twenty years of apartheid. And unfortunately, and it's to comrades eternal shame, actually, the comrades marathon agreed to be part of those celebrations. Mm-hmm. So there were a whole lot of runners that withdrew in in protest. They were appalled. Uh, and the 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 logo, the, the slogan at the time was um, no cause to celebrate. There was no cause to celebrate. We were the polecats of the world. We were isolated. We couldn't compete internationally. We had to turn inland. You, you, you were always, if you were traveling overseas, you were embarrassed to say you were a South African. Yeah. You said you, you pretended you were an Australian because our accent to most other people is similar. Yeah. Um, and so, um, uh, yeah, so that was, the. and obviously we had appalling, a uh, people were dying in detention. There was detention without trial, you know, a lot of stuff like that. And I was still at university, so I was quite passionate so what happened was a group of us decided we still wanted to run and me particularly because I knew I could win because I had come second and third in the two previous years and um, I knew I had a really good chance of winning and my training showed me that I was in great shape. Um, so we decided we would run but we would show our displeasure by wearing black armbands. So I wasn't the only person. It's just that I was the most prominent because I won. And then, sure. and because I won, that uh, it was very, you know, a lot of people notice it because I. There's no way the t, the national television broadcasting company could film the race without filming me. They yeah. tried not. To. They try to. They try to film me from the side that didn't have the armband on. But then I would swap. I would swap the armband to that side. But I, it was a, a very unhappy race for me because I was with the largely white spectators on the side of the road. I was very. I, I was hated. Right. So I was I was booed and I got hit with a couple of eggs and I got hit with a tomato or two, and yeah, and I was not I was dis, intensely disliked for what I did. But what happens um, is that uh, late in later years, you know, I I found out that the the political prisoners on Robben Island they were they were absolutely amazed that there were white people running the race who were was standing up for them. So. Wow. And many years later, I received a like a state president's award from Nelson Mandela, and I think largely because of that stand, you That's know, once he was released. But but what happens with as we know with all winners is so people hated me. The following year, I remember when I was running, a couple of people shouted, "Where's your black armband today, Fordos?" And I always used to put my hand on my heart and say, "It's right here in my yeah. heart." Okay. Um, but but then what happens when you win for the second time and then you win for the third time? everyone starts to love a winner you know you know where you see it quite often you see it in things like the tennis where you know the the new champion no one likes them because they still they still like the old guy or the old world champion but then gradually the new one wins the hearts of you so that that kind of was my story you know that that then after by the time i'd won the third time i think people had already some people had forgotten those issues and then of course as I was winning, South Africa was approaching more and more approaching the the unbanning of the African National Congress, the free, the freeing of Mandela and the other political prisoners. It was getting closer to that time. Yeah,
0: but so that took seemed... a long time still. So I, yeah. I'd love to yeah. if we could spend a little bit more time on this subject. I'd love to hear a little bit more about that history because I think it's a great illustration of how sport can be a unifying. Force in the world, and especially in your country, and I, of course, have yeah. also seen the movie Invictus about the 1995 yeah. World Cup rugby, and and so there was a 14 year gap though between your 1981 victory at comrades and that 1995 World Cup, which um, you know was of course a really important moment in the apartheid yeah. history as well. Sure, Could you but, talk more about yeah. that?
1: The, but the but the end was coming. You know, there were there were. I mean, in, in 1981 there was one uh, person of color in the South African rugby team, you know, and and um, by the time you get to 90, you know, by the time, well, if you look today, I mean, I don't even, you know, we just look at our team, that's our team. We don't really know, I mean, that's the team. Uh, but, the, but yeah, from 81 until about 85, it got more and more brutal and more and more repressive. Um, but then after that, I think the floodgates started to open, where you just could see that the end was coming mm-hmm. of the system of apartheid. And 1990 is the unbanning of the ANC and the and the freeing of Mandela and that. So I still won that, comrades. In 1990 was my last comrades' win. So I kind of just touched in the era of freedom, so to speak.
0: Yeah. Amazing. Well, it's uh, an incredible history, and I think, uh, like I said, a great example of how sport can sometimes be yeah. uh, a unifying force um, and something that helps inspire people towards justice and what is right. Uh, so,
1: I'm sure you saw in the movie Invictus. Probably the the the, the greatest move that Mandela made was to wear it to, was to wear a South African Springbok jersey yep. onto the field to meet the teams. You know that was just absolutely mind-bogglingly clever. Yeah. In one in one move, he 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 all the right wingers who would have hated him would have said, "Oh well, he's not such a bad guy. Look at yeah. that." He's, you know, and in the that other, that was move, kind
0: of his brilliance as a leader, wasn't it? Was yeah. He was he, had a,
1: he yeah. He had a special touch for everyone. I, I once boarded a plane with him. We were I, I I missed my flight. Um, I missed my flight from a place called Port Elizabeth to Johannesburg, but I got there late and and the check-in lady said to me, you know what, you're very lucky because the flight hasn't taken off and we've got a VIP who's flying so you can go and join the VIP because we're about to call him out to to board the flight and it was Mandela. So I I walked, This this is the man. So we walked towards the plane on the tarmac, on the apron towards the plane and all the people were looking out the window and Mandela and I, he's, he was very, he was very tall, much taller than me. we talking away and we chatting away as we were. And he said to me, Bruce, I wonder, I bet you all the people in the plane are saying, who's that funny old gray-headed man with the famous Bruce eyes?' <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah.
0: Amazing. Yeah. Yeah, thanks for thanks for talking about that a little bit. I think the intersection of sports and culture and politics is a really interesting thing to talk no. about. And you were, s- were certainly at the intersection of that during the height of your career. Let's talk more about Comrades specifically. I know you had a very successful formula with your training that you were uh, that you implemented very successfully over the course of your yeah, even- consecutive victories. And uh, I'd love to hear you kind of talk about it because I think you've also exemplified just longevity and health span in your running career. And that remarkable consistency of eight victories in a row probably indicates that you had a really smart approach to your training. I'd love to hear you reflect on that.
1: Yeah, so so it wouldn't so much be a, uh, my training. It was that I, I think I was it was my racing. If I have one criticism of the modern runners, they run too many. They just run too many, and eventually, it, you know, you, everyone thinks they can reinvent the the wheel, and they can't. Sorry, they don't run too many. They race too many. Okay, and especially these these insane ultras, a hundred miles and trail races and stuff. You have to be selective. You you have to you have to ration yourself to a couple of a couple of year. If you do that, you will get the results every time. If you learn how to peak, you will get the results every time. But there's so many who, you know, and I don't want to be getting in the way of spontaneity, but they just, they will just say, oh yeah, come on, let's go and do that race. I mean, we get it here in South Africa. And then they wonder why when they get to the one that they really want to do well at, they're dead when they get there and, and it doesn't work. Why? You know, and it's because you're just overdoing it. you just, that's it. So I used to kind of choose two ultras a year. And in the latter part of my running career, only one, you know, mm-hmm. I would do, in those days I would run Comrades, which was the end of May. And then they had a race, which sadly no longer exists, called the London to Brighton, which is the same, almost the same length as Comrades. And that was beautifully positioned in October, first weekend of October. And I would run it and I would run those two and I'd recover from the one and then slowly build up for the second one. So I think that that was probably it. Also, because I hit on a, on a good training formula, I stuck to it. I tinkered with it a little bit. You know, you'll change it a bit here, and you think I need a couple more long runs, but maybe. But basically, that was it. And I just—it's funny you should ask that because here's here's my very scientific. I'll show you. This is a, my very scientific. Very. Here, this is this is. That's that's my training diary.
0: Here's the training log? What year is that from?
1: This is. 1985 okay so there you are the, the red the red is a race yeah okay red, red ink is a race and this is actually 80, 1985 comrades so Bruce, and, and that,
0: that notebook belongs in the smithsonian or some very yeah, says, special I'm history
1: museum. museum and then i'm really strange because i would also do but the, but what happens is then i could go back and refer to those the next year and see yeah. what i did so there is all my I mean here you are. Here's how here's how I logged all my kilometers.
0: Yeah. Fantastic. Thank yeah. you for showing that to me. I mean that, that again, that thing belongs in yeah. the running and sporting well, industry uh, museum. A whole of them. It's I've older
1: been a whole than part. I am. It's older than I am. So. 85. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've, I've, but I've got, you know, that's the ridiculous thing, that's 85, yeah. but but at my feet at my feet is 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 2022. Okay, great. So you're still no, doing it in the old fashioned way,
0: pen and paper. Yeah, yeah. I,
1: can't, I can't look it up and because then I won't be able to find it and one day I'll lose it all, you know. <laughs> That's Some great. Of those pages are quite interesting because the ink is all blurred because I was writing down and then a, a bead of sweat would go and land on the page and, and make the ink run.
0: Yeah. So Bruce, in this line of questioning and in the line of your point about people over training and over racing, um, and while we're talking about the formula that you came up with, that was so successful for comrades, I'd love to read something from the lore of running and ask you to expand on it uh, relevant to your training.
1: And uh, uh, by the way, I'm not, I'm not alone. If you look at Elliot Kipchoge, he's so successful because he runs one or two a year marathons. I don't know what his next one's going to be. I'm hoping it's Boston.
0: Yeah, we because, all hope it's Boston <laughs> yeah, because that's the thing
1: that's missing from his career, from his CV. Yep. Exactly. You know, and then after that, I, after that, I hope the next one after that is the following year's New York. Yep. <laughs> and we we'd love to see him race yeah. in the
0: United States. Speaking for all American running fans, but yeah. so again, your your training was really captured by Tim Noakes and the lore of running. But I think I'll just read a quick passage here, and then you can expand What's on that? it. What it says is Bruce was particularly impressed by Dave Levick's Comrades performance in 1971 when on a grand total of 130 kilometers of training in January and February, he ran one of the great Comrades, finishing second in five hours, 48 minutes, and going on to win the 1971 London to Brighton race, which he just mentioned. Thus, Fordyce concluded that the high training mileage in January and February was probably not necessary. So can you expand on that and your general philosophy of moderation?
1: Eight to ten weeks. Yeah, that was my eight to ten weeks. So by that, what I mean is, you don't do you don't do no running, but you 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 run and you tick over. And actually, in my in my off season, I used to kind of go and run B league track races. So I had spikes. I would go and run a five thousand meter or a but a B, the B league, not with the not with the really great guys, but they they had some track meets where they would have like an A, B, C, and D race. And uh-huh. you could say, "Well, this is the time I'm going to think I can run, give or take a few seconds," and they'd put, you, they'd put you in that race. So I, I would, I would continue run, and but I, when it became time to really push hard and work hard, I used to restrict it to eight to ten weeks. That was it. That's intense training, and that's allowing for I'm a quite conservative, allowing for a two to three week taper okay. to race with a couple of short distance races to sharpen up. So everyone wants to know that most runners, they want to know that they're ready to run a 90 kilometer race by running a long run and feeling great. I didn't need to do that. I I, I knew I'd done the training. What I needed to know was, can I break 30 minutes for 10 Ks? If I could break 30 minutes for 10 Ks with two weeks to go to Comrades, I'm not telling you I'm going to win because that would be too arrogant, but I'm going to run five and a half hours.
0: Yeah, okay. So I'm
1: going to run five and a half hours. So if you run 528, you'll beat me, but I'm going to run five and a half. There you go. How do you know? Because my training's told me. Right. You know, that, that it's that simple. Brilliant. But I need to find that out by doing a long distance run. I need to find it out by doing a short, sharp run. And that well, tells you everything you need to know.
0: Yeah, I, I just think that you're such a great, just example of longevity and consistency. And I think it's so hard for top athletes to accomplish that. And so the moderation that you employed in your training was also supported by an amazing strategy that you employed very successfully year over year at Comrades. And of course, I was never around to witness any of your victories. I've sort of pulled some things off YouTube. But from what I've heard, you Always raced fairly conservatively, fairly tactically, yeah. and fairly intelligently. Could you talk about that strategy? Yeah, so
1: so I I, I tell the you know I do a lot of speaking now. I, in fact, funny enough, did one last night for a whole bunch of runners. Um, and I tell them, particularly with comrades, the only the only tactic, the only approach approach to the race is to start like a coward and finish like a hero. <laughs> it's ninety kilometers of hell. Mm-hmm. It's hilly. It's hot, it's, it can get incredibly hot, African heat. I mean, it's run in the winter in, in, in KwaZulu-Natal, but that's a subtropical province, so it's hot. You start slowly and you gradually pick it up as you start to think, okay, okay, I'm feeling, this is not too bad, that hill went well. Then you can start to pick it up, but what happens is that you, I mean, you you watch the start of the Comrades Marathon, it's, it's, it's bizarre. You have to break the four-minute mile barrier to be on television for the first mile. They take off, they're out of there. You, know? <laughs> not, you think, guys, guys. Even if you win, it's five and a half hours yeah. of running it. And and by the way, it's not that it's slow. You know, it's three minutes thirty, three minutes thirty-five, a kilometer. I don't know what it is in miles, but that's not that slow. So you know, I'm, when I say start like a coward, I mean it's a relative term. You're still going out quite fast, but sure. just back. You have to, after 20 kilometers of that race, you have to feel like you haven't started. You must just feel like you, you're you not even breathing. Your legs are feeling great. And, and, and then you start thinking about what the possibilities are.
0: So how many of your victories were come from behind victories? Because I know that you were famous for shaking hands with the leader as you passed yeah. them to, to secure another championship. I, how many of those were come from
1: behind? Think, I'm trying... I think almost all. Wow. Almost, almost, um, yeah. and, And I was able to run negative splits so I could run the second half faster. Yeah. But not that much faster, but I could run it faster. So I'm trying to think, well, yeah, in 1982, there was a lead bunch, a lead bunch of runners. It was a down run and we were all together in a group. And then eventually, on this one steep downhill, the, def- the downrun defending champion, I'd, I'd won the year before, but I hadn't won a downrun. Alan Robb took off. He just took off on one of the downhills. Yeah. And so you had about 10 seconds to make up your mind. Going with him or you were going to wait? And it was 30 Ks to go, and I just thought, no, I'm going with him. You know, So the, the, and then we we were in the front from quite early on. But I think just with 30 to go, but the best time to take the lead in any marathon is as close to the finish as possible.
0: Sure. You know, if you
1: want to be in the lead or why would you want to be in the lead? You know, I used to leave, I used to love that idea of, of leaving some of my opposition out there, as they say, just hanging them out to dry for a few hours, just leave them out there for a few hours. They, they know I'm two minutes behind. I'm not far behind. I'm two minutes yeah. behind. Worst, worst scenario, three minutes behind. So I'm there. If I, if we have a long straight, but I can see them, but I just leave them there. Sure. So they've got the TV truck, they've got the lead vehicle, they've got all the press taking notes, they've got the crowd going mad, and you're just h- hiding away happily, uh, you know, almost camouflage, waiting yeah. for them, waiting for, to make the move. and the, And to be in the front for so long, I can't imagine what that must be like.
0: The Free Trail Podcast is brought to you by Boa Fit System. You all know Boa, the best lacing system ever invented. You know, the dials you see on every pair of Speedland footwear and on a number of other high-quality products in the outdoor and endurance sport marketplace. Boa dials ensure the best possible fit and therefore the best possible performance and experience while you are out ripping on the trails. The LI2 dials are what we use on the Speedlands, which offer incredibly customizable fit. You can tighten and loosen them to very precise increments on the fly, all without tying silly shoelaces. Seriously, it's 2022, who ties their shoes anymore? Once you go, BOA, you never go back. These dials will change your life and make your feet much happier. For those who live in Colorado, we'll be doing a live podcast at the beautiful BOA headquarters in Denver in November. Uh, so stay tuned for more details on that. In the meantime, to learn more about BOA, visit boafit.com. Follow them on Instagram at BOAFITSystem. Thanks to BOA for their support. The Free Trail Podcast is brought to you by Gnarly Nutrition. Are you tinkering with your race day nutrition strategy? Are you finding that the nonstop consumption of energy gels and chews leaves you with intense taste fatigue and sugar overdose? Well, I have some advice for you, something I've done for years now. That is, drink your calories. I've tried everything on the market and I am here to tell you that not all Drink mixes are created equal. The gnarly Fuel 2O drink mix is by far the best that I've tried for both taste and energy supply. The Fuel 2O is the bomb, especially the cherry cola flavor. That is my absolute favorite. It has all the carbohydrates, the electrolytes, the amino acids to power you along your trail adventures. Two more things that make it amazing. One, it is NSF certified for sport, so you don't have to worry about unintentionally ingesting any banned substances, and two, they come in both multi-serving bags and single-serving pouches. I typically use the big bag, but in case I use a single-serve stick in a race or a long training run where I need to refill my bottles, the sticks are actually easy to open. It's a miracle. We've all fumbled with drink mix pouches that are impossible to tear open on the run. Is there anything more frustrating? Well, Gnarly somehow solved for that too. So go grab some Fuel 2o drink mix at gonarly.com. Use code FREETRAIL15 for 15% off your purchase. gonarly.com, use code FREETRAIL15. So winning the race eight years in a row from 81 to 88, why didn't you come back in 1989?
1: Because what happened was that the one, we, we South Africans were arrogantly saying that at that kind of 100K distance, 50 to 100, we're the best in the world. You know, and we had some magnificent runners. I mean, Frithun Amurva, world record at 50K in the Two Oceans, which is a 56K race we had in Cape Town. Uh, Thompson Magawana, world record at 50Ks. I ran some pretty fast times for 90. Um, and then we had incredible Wally Haywood at the age of 80. 80 years old, he ran a 9.45 up Comrades. That means he he beat that cutoff gun by two to quarter hours. So we were, we were saying we're the best in the world. And the, and and rightly so, the answer was coming back from Europe and from the American runners. Yeah, but none of you have got 100k time. Yeah. You don't have 100k time. How can uh, you say 100k is the standard distance? Give us 100k time. So what we did is in 1989, we put on a 100k race and we invited all the top runners from around the world. So uh, Barney Klecker came from the USA, Stefan Fechner from Canada. They, quite a lot of the top runners came from all over the world. And we ran a 100K race in a town called Stellenbosch in the Cape. And we had big prize money. It was the first time ever we had big prize money. And, and I won it. So it was an incredibly hot day. So I did a 6.25 or something. But we it was a very funny race because the top The first six runners were all in the hospital tent afterwards, all plugged into IV, all of us getting fluid (laughs) because it was so hot. And so because of that, the race was in February. And given what I've just said about how I peak and how you can't over race, I knew in 89, I would never be recovered in time to run a Comrades in May. Okay. And there were some people who thought they could, and they got found out in Comrades because Comrades is a very – selfish race it's so brutal that if you mess around with other distances and other races too close to comrades you're going to get what we call in south african terminology a big club that's a big yeah. whack yeah. and that's what happened but i didn't even bother i didn't even bother to enter the 89 comrades i just said no i'm not going there um and, and then it came I,
0: back and won again in 1990 I then I came back in, to
1: win in 1990 but by then i i noticed and i think it's a it's a terrible thing for all sportsmen and women that you just realize it's over. Really? Um, Talk about re- that. I'd love to hear more yeah. about that. I, yeah. so I won it, but I won it by default because a, a great runner called Mark Page, he, he built up a huge lead on me, too much of a lead. Um, but it was an uprun and there's a big hill at the end of um, the uprun called Polly Shorts. It's named after the farmer who, that you used to live there. Um, a strange name, Polly Shorts, but anyway, it's like the Heartbreak Hill of of comrades. But it's, I mean, I've run Heartbreak. I've done. I've run one Boston. It's much steeper than than Boston, and it's two kilometres long. So it's a mile essentially straight up. And and Mark started walking on that hill. He 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 broke. Then he started walking, and I caught him, and I managed to open up a gap. When you get to the top of this hill, it's kind of four miles to the end. I caught him then and I, I managed to open a gap and I won it. But my sister who lives in London, she had never seen me run. And the comrades. so she came out that year to see me and she was the first person to hug me, to greet me when I crossed the line. And, and she reminded me afterwards, I said to her, it's over. I won't win another one. I knew I wouldn't win another one. I just, I'd lost that zip. I'd lost that speed. I've got to."
0: How old a, were you at this time, Bruce?
1: 30, 33 but you see it's not it's not so much how old are you in age because older runners have won the comrades it's how many times have you stepped in the boxing ring yeah how many times have you been hit like muhammad ali and Thanks unfortunately God. for me by the time i got to 1983 i'd been hit a lot yeah, yeah. and so wow. this zip the zip was gone out of my legs and it's the most astonishing thing you can see it happen to a runner they are just gone i hope it doesn't happen to elliot kipchoge i hope he's got a couple more. But you're going to see one day it's just not going to happen for him. Sure. And then, and then your responses, you go back and you think, no, it's just being lazy. I've got to train even harder. So you train even harder, and the following year you have an even worse result. Yeah. Because over, you know, it, you. I mean, I've got a great friend who was uh, who was at university with me, Gary Bailey. He's well known in the UK because he was a goalkeeper for the football team Manchester United, and he was goalkeeper for England in the football. And he just said one day. He was diving to save a shot at goal and he didn't save it. It bent the tips of his fingers back and it went in. And he said, I realized I'm just not quite as sharp as I was last season. Wow. And he kind of planned his retirement from then on. He knew I'm just not diving as far across the goal as I used to.
0: Yeah. And it's
1: going, well, I would have stopped that one, two years ago. You Bruce, know?
0: this is fascinating. And maybe to go one level deeper, even when you recognize that it was over, you then still had 15 or 18 comrades finishes after the fact, you have 30 finishes in 35 years between 77 and 2012. Talk about when you realized that it was over, like keeping the love of running, because I don't think that's all that common, especially with athletes of your level.
1: Um, I, I just could never not run. And so I, what I said at the time, I've, I'm giving myself permission to be slow. I don't care if I'm slow. I just want to be out there, and I love it. And um, and I think the other runners that – I don't want to use the word ordinary, but you know what I mean, the, the kind of – the runners who can never win, they really enjoy seeing someone like me there. And, and, and further back in the field, I'm talking, I'm giving them advice, I'm chatting to them, and I could never – I mean, if I stopped – my family would put me down like an old dog because I would be so hungry. I'd become an alcoholic yeah. and I would just, oh, it would be too awful for words. And yeah. you know, the, the only thing is eventually at Comrades, I made a decision to stop eventually because I was, I was badly needed in the commentary box. Yeah. I've got more to give in the commentary box because I know the race so well. I know the history. I know every inch of the, the road. So it was better. And I couldn't have chosen a better way to end it because I finished my last comrades with Zola Bad. Okay. I caught I caught Zola with 20k's to go that year. And she had gone out ahead of me it was her first comrades it was my 30th and I remember thinking how can you do that Zola you know me I'm experienced what are you doing ahead of me? And I went straight past her and I'd gone past her and I thought don't be stupid I stopped I said if you're not going to win the, this is the greatest marketing opportunity of a lifetime. You finish comments <laughs> with Zola, the crowd's going to go mad. The press is going to go mad, and it was right. We got we were the we this all the newspapers was a big photograph of me giving Zola a kiss on the cheek when we crossed the line. Yeah, and the poor the poor runner who won it was I think Ludwig Mamabola who won that year. He got a little mention, but like this, he was so angry with us. <laughs> Good. Um. Yeah. So that was kind of, but I'm, I'm still, I mean, I still run and, you know, you mentioned park run. That's now my, that's yeah. now my passion. 5k is free on a Saturday morning. And we, we should call it park walk because most of our, well, many of our people walk. Sure. And I still try and run that thing and I will try and win my age group, you know, whatever. And I, and I love it. I've I mean, done four, I've done 453 park runs now, something like that.
0: Wow. Yeah, I'd love to. I don't know if we'll have enough time to talk about Parkron. And I do want to spend a little bit of time talking about trail and some specific, really yeah. um, important uh, anecdotes. Uh, Ryan Sands, who's a really good old friend of mine. Uh, we sort of came up in the sport together or around the same time. He always tells a story about how when you were doing a book signing, you signed a book for Ryan Sands that said, to Ryan, a future Western States champion. Really? This is well before he made that prediction a reality. I'd love for you to maybe sh- share a little bit more about that anecdote. But also, I I heard that you were on the start list at Western States one year. So if you could talk about yeah. that interaction with Ryan and also your... your uh, failed attempt at western states.
1: Yes, I, I I love the western states. I went back in 1984, 85, maybe it was 85. I was what we call a second, I think you call them a pacer. Yes. A pacer yeah. for a South African runner who ran there. And I landed up because he had a tough time, I landed up carrying a lot of his stuff. And so I did about 60 miles of the western states walking jogging Carrying his stuff, I don't know. And I just, I loved it. I mean, it, it was just too beautiful for words. All those, I don't know, Red Star Ridge and Devil's Thumb and Rocky Chucky and all those names. <laughs> Look, so, you can
0: recite all the aid stations. I know, amazing. I know,
1: I, know, I know them all. Um, <laughs> and and I love the fact that it started in Score Valley and finished in you know in Auburn, Sacramento, and, and I, I love that. Um, and so in my in. In my the glaring omission from my CV was just, a, just to get a, a, a Western States buckle, you know, to get the belt. I would have, you know, I would literally 27 hours because I am a, an appalling, appalling trail runner. I hate trail. I fall all the time. I can't see. I love the road. I love the track. I like a firm surface. But I decided I was going to do it, and they accepted my entry. And then as it was getting time, my knee packed up. Yeah, I, I lost half the cartilage in my one knee and it was just, it was, it broke my heart because I was already doing running, running at night with a, with a headlamp so that I could get used to it. Cause I know you have to do that in Western state. Yeah. I was, I was ready to go and I would have made it, I would have made it, but I would have made it with five minutes to spare. You know, that would have been my goal. Yeah. But then because I know Ryan so well, a few years later, uh, oh, and by the way, I still want to come to Western States to be a spectator. We would so love tell, to have you. We would love to have come, you. I want to come and 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 give a talk on on running and just be a spectator. I'd love it. or or be a be a be a pacer for somebody like Camille or somebody like that. Anyway, I'd love to do that. So please, if there's anybody, you know, I'll. I'll my own way over i just want to come over 2023
0: come over. let's do it bruce we'll talk about It'll it be. offline talk about the ryan sands interaction because i yeah, really so want to hear about
1: you ryan had, ryan is our best trail runner if not one of the be- he is one of the best in the world yeah and i just wanted and he'd come close i think he'd come close a couple was, of times he was second like, in
0: 2012.
1: Yeah, yeah yeah he was second so it was like come on ryan you know i've also been second in the comrades, and i know what it feels like second. Excuse the, the the language. Second sucks. It's horrible. Nobody yeah. likes being second. Um, and so I just put that there to goad him. And, he, and a couple of years later, he did it. So, well, and that's not to say he couldn't do another one. I, I still think he's got a chance that there's another one in him.
0: Yeah. So also a great American champion, Jim Walmsley, managed to break your 50-mile world record, which had stood yeah. for, how long was it? Like 35 years? Yeah. By the time, I mean, yeah, yeah, I think yeah, it yeah. was 1984 that you said it, he broke the record in 2019. So I think that's 35 years at the risk of doing public yeah. math. But I, I'd love to hear you talk about that, you know, maybe that performance from 1984 and then, you know, what it felt like to finally have that mark beaten by so, you know, the uh, best so of our
1: generation. I wrote a nice piece on it, actually, that I, I wrote a letter to Jim saying, well done. Um,
0: I know you did, and he uh, very much that. appreciated it.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, so. So funny enough I'm never quite sure when I got when I got this this world best time because I ran the London to Brighton which is 54 miles 53 miles and they took my time going through 50 miles so I broke the record there but London to Brighton's point to point so I ran and I have to try and remember it but something 4 hours 50 minutes and 21 seconds something like that and then the following year in Chicago, what was then called the AMJ Ultras, it was the US 50 mile champs. I ran four hours and 50 minute, 50 minutes and 51
0: seconds.
1: Yeah. So 30 seconds slower, but it was, uh, it was a out and back, you know, it was a loop course that you just said it was like five mile loops. Right. So that's probably, that's probably the one. And and then you know, my my attitude to it is that it's not good when you hold a record for so many years. It means the sport's not growing. It means the sport's mm-hmm. not thriving. You and the great Wally Haywood, who I mentioned earlier, who did a he won the comrades five times when he was a younger man, but he he's most famous for running it at the age of 80. He he said to me, Bruce, you keep titles, but you borrow records. Mm you borrow a record uh, and you look after it and you treasure it for a while but then you've got to hand it on because somebody takes it but but the title no one can take away I don't know what year Ryan Sands won uh, Western States but let's say it was 2016 he will always be the 2016 Western States champion that's it that's sure. it you know? yeah. so you, you keep you keep the title but you borrow the record and I think that's quite a, a good way and and somebody will take it away from Jim Aldley, you know probably yep. quite soon yeah. Well,
0: I I think it was a very, you know, classy, again, example of sportsmanship and just like your personality to reach out to Jim upon setting that record and congratulating him and passing that baton to the next generation. And I'm sure Jim will do the same for whoever comes along and, and takes the record Mm
1: -hmm. from him. (laughs) So either you can either get grumpy about it and get upset, or you can just accept it. And I knew when I heard that Jim was going for it, and it was a kind of like an organized run where he was going to go for. I knew that's it. I'm doomed. But it
0: wasn't. It wasn't by that big of a margin. I mean, I think it was only thirty or forty seconds at the end of day. Yeah, it wasn't.
1: Anyway, that's it.
0: so I know we, we've we only got a few minutes of time remaining, and I'd love to use that time to talk more about Park Run and to talk about your commentary okay. and also to just, I guess, just generally discuss the post pro athlete life because I think you've done such a good job of staying connected to the community, staying relevant and still passionate clearly about what you're doing. So if you could just talk a little bit about Parkrun, about what you do with yeah, the media and yeah. and how that sort of came about after your career.
1: Parkrun, by the way, is in the States. Uh, it's in the, right. it's it, it's just not big yet, but it's getting there. It's getting yeah. there. So it's it's five K is free on a Saturday morning around a a safe traffic-free environment Uh, you register and and you just arrive with your barcode. So there's, there's my barcode. I never take it off because I'm too scared. I'll lose it. But there also, (laughs) you can also have a little paper barcode. Uh, It's just like a credit card and that gets scanned when you cross the finish line and you get your result. And then, and then if you come back the next week and you run a PB, you get a result and it says, well done, you got a PB. And it's, it's for runners and walkers of all abilities. So in the front, there's some very quick guys and girls, but at the back you'll get, you know, Mrs. Smith who walks the whole way and doesn't even break an hour for five Ks. And it started off in the UK by a South African called Paul Sinton Hewitt, 13 people came in October, 2004, and now it's 8 million. It's 8 million people globally. And in South Africa, we started 26 people came to our first one. And now we're 1.3 million registered members. And this Saturday, I already know which one I'm going to. I'm going to a parkrun called the Reeds, which is in a a poor community in a township. Uh, It started about three weeks ago, and I want to go there and give them some support. And I know it's not going to be a pretty parkrun. It'll be ugly. There'll be litter. There'll be a rusting bicycle on the one corner. But it'll be fun because the community will be very welcoming and and so the park runs in South Africa, for instance, are scattered all over the place. Some are on the beaches, some are in wine estates, some are on the borders of our great uh, game reserves, the Kruger National Park. We've had a, a park run that was that had to start late because there were five lions lying in the road on the on the road to the park run. So you can't. They weren't on the park run route, but there were five lions lying in the road, and they wouldn't let any of the cars go past. So that's it. You can't get out of your car until a lion. We yeah. park Excuse me, we've got a park run to do here. Yeah. So, and it's just it's just exploded. It's the most incredible things. People just love it. And then there's a whole hashtag group of people who go hashtag park run to proper runner, you know, to sensible, run. hashtag park run to comrades. We've had people who've started, they never knew they could, they do 5Ks. And 18 months later they run 90 kilometer race and you know yeah. you can't believe it And but mainly it's about communities about people getting together and if i had to use one adjective to describe parkrun it's a corny one but the right adjective is happy people are just really happy to see each other on a saturday morning yeah. have a run go for coffee afterwards catch up with each other see you next week which one are you going to do you know, and, and so it's it's amazing and it's growing, it's exploding in the states and in Canada. So it'll be good to see those grow. In fact, one which closed down sadly was Chrissy Fields. Chrissy oh, really? Fields Park. Yeah, yeah. They had to close it down because parkrun is always free. And the authorities there wanted to charge the park runners. Uh, but yeah. it had been going for a couple of years and it was on my bucket list to do it. So I'm a bit annoyed. Because to do it, to do it in the, you know, looking at Golden Gate would be amazing.
0: Yeah, that is a spectacular setting. Well, let's uh, work together to bring it back, Bruce. Yeah, good. Yeah. Hey, I know you've got to go, but I'm so appreciative yeah. of your time, Bruce. I feel like we could go uh, another hour, but I, I really appreciate you coming on the show. It's been an honor and a pleasure to oh, chat with you. you.
1: Can, I, can I have one quick plug? Please. Just give me I, I suddenly realised I'm, I'm being. silly for anyone who wants to run their first comrades marathon, there it is. Oh, there we go! That's the winged messenger. Hey, okay. Yeah, based on my first comrades, and called winged messenger, which sounds very pretentious title. Yeah. But winged messenger is the logo on the comrades badge on yes. the medal. Yeah. And the winged messenger is Hermes, and he was the god of the roads. That's why it's winged messenger. Anyway, yeah. Beautiful. You, thank you for yeah, that, that plug,
0: Bruce. We'll make sure to put it in the in the show yeah, notes and direct you. our audience yeah. to pick up your book but again thank you so much
1: for coming on the show i enjoyed it fantastic thanks
0: how great was that thank you so much to bruce for coming on the show a big thank you also to my friend doug emsley who helped me to set this up go follow bruce on twitter i have a link in the show notes, along with a link to his book, Winged Messenger, which we talked about very briefly at the end of the conversation. Free Trail Pro members, what did you think? Jump in the Slack for the post-show banter. Let me know what you enjoyed, where I could do better, who you want to see on the show next. Absolutely love the conversation and the insights that come through Free Trail Slack. Big thank you to our sponsors, Speedland. Runspeedland.com, use code FREETRAIL10 for 10% off the SLHSV. Gnarly Nutrition, gnarly.com. use code FREETRAIL15 for 15% off the best nutrition products in the game. BOA, visit boafit.com to check out the best fit system on the planet. That's it for this episode. We have a few huge ones coming down the pipeline. The racing season is sort of winding down, but the pod never sleeps excited to chat with you all again very soon. Love you so much. Bye-bye.